All right. Well, uh, last week we talked about the role and responsibility of instruction. And uh, I, I just wanted to highlight a couple of resources. I didn't have quite as much time last week as, uh, as I'd hoped to uh, with regards to that. And so in the back of your notebook, there is a, uh, or booklet is a, a list of recommended resources for parents that I alluded to. Um, the first part has books about parenting. There's a lot of great resources that can help us think about issues of parenting. A lot of the, the content that, um, that uh, we are covering in this class is, uh, is not original content. It's obviously from the scriptures, but it's also been shaped by a lot of the good resources that are listed there in my mind and heart. Um, and so just wanna encourage you to be actively pursuing growth in this area through resources that can be helpful. One that I would point out is um, uh, a little uh, calendar-ish looking thing called Wise Words for Moms. Um, it's called Wise Words for Moms because it was written by a mom. It's not that there's unique, specific wisdom in here for mom's eyes only or something. Um, but it's, it's a helpful tool for what we talked about in, uh, in terms of how we address issues of, of discipline, focusing on the heart, how scriptures speak to different things. So it, it takes different behaviors. So for example, here's one on uh, aggravating, stirring up strife, or picking on others. Anybody ever have children who aggravate or stir up strife? And so it gives some, some questions you can ask uh, that are helpful to draw out conversations. So are you purposing in your heart to promote peace? Or are you stirring up trouble? How can you show love and pursue peace in this situation? And then it gives kind of a, a, a put off what we should stop doing in a biblical way and uh, a put on and some scriptures that relate to that. So it, it's a helpful tool. Now, I doubt that in the midst of the moment, you're probably gonna be carrying this around. Maybe you might, and uh, and you might say, okay, wait just a second, I'm gonna flip. It's not quite pocket size, you know, where you can like pull it out and flip through it, although maybe, um, but a really helpful tool to just uh, equip and shape us. So it may be something where you pull it out and use it. It may be something where you read through it ahead of time, just as a, uh, as a, uh, a tool to get your mind engaged in thinking about those things. And then there's some key ones that stand out. Yes. Ah, there's an app that is pocket sized. Very cool. There's the app. So you can get the app and, and not worry about the calendar thing. Um, the, uh, the other book that I would mention, Age of Opportunity, A Biblical Guide to Parenting Teens uh, by Paul David Tripp. If you have kids who are in that eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old range, um, I would encourage you to, to get that book and to read it. Um, it's, it's just taking the scriptures teaching on parenting and applying it as your kids get older. Some of the things that we've, we've talked about as far as how parenting ch shifts over time from being that, that authority to that influence, it's very helpful in working through those things and just giving you some thoughts. The, the title itself is great, Age of Opportunity. He, he's writing under the premise that the, the teenage years, which are dreaded by most, and we kind of have this assumption that it's gonna be awful and hopefully we'll get through it, um, that they are really the golden years of parenting. They're the prime time to be engaged and involved in your kids uh, and helping to direct their hearts and, and gives a lot of good wisdom on that. Um, there's also a, a section on the next page, on page 26, that are, are mini books for parenting, parents on various issues. Um, when I say mini books, I mean things like this, little pamphlety type things. There's, a, again, a number of publishers that have put out a, a, a host of these about a variety of, of issues. These are just some that are particularly connected to issues of parenting. Um, 
And so if there are things that, um, that are, are you're particularly dealing with or thinking through, this is one that's helpful on uh, ADD, Wandering Minds and Wired Bodies, uh, how to think about those kinds of things. Again, could be for you or for, for others that you know as you interact with in, uh, in those ways. Um, and then uh, the, the rest of it is more resources to use with your children. Um, and I, I highlighted a number of those last time. Um, I want to mention one, one publisher for, for kids who can read, who are starting to read. Um, there's, there's, you know, as you probably know, not enough good books for kids who really like to read. Um, and so the, these are not going to solve that for you, but they are some really good books published by uh, Lamplighter. Um, they, these are, uh, it's a, um, an organization that has published a bunch of old books, primarily fiction books, uh, that were written in the past when people actually wrote good fiction uh, that addressed real topics and issues in life, but in a way that is not only faithful and, and theologically rich, but also well-written. And so these are old books. They unfortunately are not cheap uh, because they're old and they're republished, um, but they are, uh, are really well done. They also have a, um, a radio theater component to their ministry, so you can get books that are done. The, the difference between audiobook and radio theater is sound effects and voices, basically. So it's like you are listening to the account. You're not listening to somebody read the, uh, the book, and they are really well done. Um, occasionally, they have really good sales on their radio theater stuff, so uh, I would encourage you, if you're interested in that, if you spend a lot of time driving the car or listening to stuff at home, um, that you can um, get on their email list and, and and wait for them to have a good sale and then buy as many as you can when they are on a good sale. Um, the books, we, we've um, uh, accumulated some through things like uh, parents' gifts for uh, our kids. So they've, they've bought some and then given them to our kids gradually over time for uh, birthdays or Christmas or different things. So like this one was given to, uh, to the girls back in 2011 by their grandparents. Um, it's called Helen's Temper and Its Consequences, um, which, is, which sounds like, oh, that's exciting. Um, and, uh, but it's a, it's, a great, it's a great book and it's a compelling read and it shows uh, really the folly of the sin of anger and uh, in a way that is, is a really powerful book. So lots of good resources that they have. Um, there's a number of others there that are that I've mentioned. You know, kids' biographies are a great thing for those who like to read to help them understand past times and godly people. Um, and so there's a, a number that are are listed there um, for them as well. Um, so a number of resources. Also, just want to show you a couple things that are on our church website that you may or may not be aware of. So if you go to our church website under the family section uh, and uh, children's Sunday school. Uh, you will see um, a couple of things. One, I mentioned last time, our catechism questions. You'll, you see those in the bulletin each week. Um, and there are, are CDs or MP3s that are available for those songs. So if you go over to the right, catechism songs, you have to be logged in to see this. The, uh, the, the folks who produce these have, uh, have a real heart to partner with local churches. And so they provide this content free for churches that are using um, using these things in, uh, in their ministries. So if you guys don't have to buy them. You can come here. If you're logged in, you can find those catechism songs, click on those. It will download a zip file with the MP3s in it, and then you can, uh, can use that. The other thing that you can uh, do with those, we do have some, some CDs still available. Um, I need to bring down some more, and maybe this will go back here in a second. So back on the Children's Sunday School page, 
if you scroll down to the bottom of that page, you will see information about each day's Sunday school lesson. So the content that you see in the bulletin, uh, if you look in the bulletin, is here for uh, the different lessons. So for example, today, if the internet works, there we go, you can see the For the Ride Home questions from there. Uh, our, our website is very mobile friendly, so if you pull that up on your phone, it, will, uh, it works well. You will also see a catechism question. Um, that gives you the question for the day, and if you play, come here, you can play the song that's connected to that day's catechism uh, question as well. You will not see this curriculum unless you are a children's Sunday school teacher, um, and I would love for you to see the curriculum as a children's Sunday school teacher, and if you'd like to do that, you can talk to me. But um, you will not see that link uh, and, uh, unless that's, um, uh, you're, you're logged in as a, as a teacher. But those are there for you so that you can access those things e easily and, uh, and use those as you are um, engaged in, uh, in seeking to, to um, connect with your kids about these kinds of things. So uh, anyway, make use of those things. The, the catechism songs are um, really a, um, a great opportunity for helping your kids to learn uh, theology and to think clearly about the truth of God's word from God as creator, uh, our sin, the, the results of sin in the world, uh, Christ and his work and salvation. Um, I will say we don't do all of the catechism questions in our Sunday school um, uh, curriculum and some our schedule. Um, there are some that are written a little more from a, a Presbyterian perspective, so baptism and, and a few others are influenced by that. Um, the, the entire albums are out there for download, but just be aware of those things on, uh, on a handful of those. But uh, those are, again, not ones that we do in the flow of our Sunday school um, classes, but uh, those are there. Um, I think that's all I wanted to particularly highlight, although there are a ton of other great um, kids songs. If, if you are here early enough, you hear music playing in the background in the children's building, and uh, it's mostly the things that are listed there um, for you on, the, uh, on that page 28 of your, your book. Uh, Sovereign Grace has, uh, has a great kids music um, uh, selection, uh, four or five different albums. Um, Randall, good game. He basically puts scripture to to music, and um, he's got uh, something called Slugs and Bugs. Why I don't know, but um, lots of good good songs. Some that are that are scriptures that you probably wouldn't um, necessarily think about, but it's. Um, uh, a lot of them are well done. Um, Keith and Kristen Getty have a lot of their songs that they have written uh, for adults that they have put in, in a kid's version. Some of that just means things like they have, um, that's always good. Um, they have kids singing, kids choirs or things like that. Uh, so lots of good opportunities. Our Apple TV is dying. Cannot connect. Well, we won't worry about that. Uh, there's a TV remote, Edwin, in that cabinet. You want to get that and just shut off the TV? We don't need it this morning. All right, go ahead and turn to, uh, to week five. We are going to turn our attention to practical issues today in, uh, in parenting in today's world. So essentially what I, what I want us to begin to do is to think a little bit about just some, some unique issues that are particularly pressing, uh, but I want us to continue to think about them as, 
as a means of applying the, the two key responsibilities that we have, have learned about already, which is discipline or training and instruction. So we're gonna consider some issues and, and think through how do we rightly and carefully discipline and instruct, train and instruct our children as it relates to these things. Issues that are, are particularly pertinent in today's world. Uh, you'll see a, a quote there on the top of your handout that uh, from Ted Tripp in the foreword of the book, The Faithful Parent. He wrote this, in the simplest of times, raising children is an overwhelming task. It's an encouragement, right? That we all, we all sense that and we all feel that way. But he says, these are not the simplest of times. Many voices are giving competing and often contradictory messages. The need of the hour is the timeless clarity and wisdom of the word of God. The Bible is robust, providing solid counsel, tailor-made for every era and culture. The greatest need of parents is biblical knowledge coupled with the wisdom and understanding needed to break down the application of scripture into sensible and doable training and nurture of children. I think that's a, that's a, a very helpful insight from, from Ted Tripp to say there are complicated issues and what we need is primarily biblical knowledge. What does the Bible say? And, and that needs to be married with wisdom and understanding to take that biblical knowledge and say, okay, so how do we practically apply this? And how does this shape the kinds of things that we say and do and how we structure our, our home? And so that's what we wanna work together to think about, issues today of, of gender and media and technology. Uh, the next, next time we'll consider some, some other issues related to things like evangelizing children and other things. Uh, but how do we take what the scripture says and practically apply that as it relates to these things? And certainly one issue on which there are very contradictory voices in our day is that of, of gender. We have to think carefully about God's design and the implications for the training and nurture of our children. And so I want us to, uh, to consider first today the issue of, of gender, of raising boys and girls. Now there's a sense in which this um, is, is relatively simple, but our world has increasingly complicated this issue. Um, and I would suggest that if we are going to faithfully parent our kids, the first step for us is to develop a vision for biblical masculinity and femininity. Uh, a robust vision for what the Bible teaches about men and women. Now on the one hand, it's, it's a bummer that our world has uh, has really messed up and marred what the Bible says about masculinity and femininity. And I wish that were not the case, but the good thing that that has done is it forces us to think more carefully and deeply about these things. 30 years ago, you know, there might not have been a lot of thinking about, okay, you're a boy, yeah, and you're a boy, and you're a girl, and you're, yeah, that you're a girl, so go be a boy and go be a girl. But now, we have to think a lot more carefully about these things. Not because we are necessarily tempted to believe the lies that the world tells us, but because we are needing to provide solid, sound, thorough counsel to our children who are facing these things, and we need to think carefully about it as well. 
Not just to say, well, what has, has kind of the traditional view been versus the current view, but what does the Bible say about these things? Now, we've already seen some of what the Bible has to say about gender just briefly back in Genesis chapter one, if you recall, where God made man and, and woman and he created them in his image. We talked about that related to discipline that we are created in God's image. And God did that intentionally in Genesis 1:26. He said this, he says, uh, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So part of our vision for biblical masculinity and femininity, really it begins with the fact that God made people male and female. Now you say, yes, (laughs) I know that. But that's that's, that's really at the core of the the debate and the conflict (laughs) about these things in our world. At the core of, are we going to embrace the fact that God is God and he made people a certain way and we are going to trust him and submit to him? You see, it's, it's not about gender, it's about God and is he good and is he wise and does he know what he is doing? And the answer is yes, he does. And so God made people a particular way and God intentionally made them different. We see that in in chapter two, when God fleshes out that creation of of man and woman in in more detail and how he gave them, uh, not only he he made them differently, he created man uh, uh, first and then he created woman out of man and he clearly gave them different roles that they are to play. Adam and Eve had different roles in, their, in that first family uh, that were, were given to them. We'll see that fleshed out more in, in other texts. And yet God views them made differently with different roles as clearly spiritually equal to one another. Different roles does not mean different value. Our world wants you to believe that that's not the case. That oh, if you have a different role, that means you are of different value. That's not true. You think about the Trinity, about God. Does God have different roles? He does. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet they are equally God, equally worthy of worship, equally exalted, and yet functioning in different roles. So do not believe the lie that says different roles uh, are automatically equated to differing value. That's not what God says. And so God says, Male and female are both in God's image, created by him. Both are spiritually equal and of of equal value in his sight, and yet they are different and have differing roles. And he says because of that, there are certain characteristics that godliness looks like in those different genders. I want you just to look at a couple texts with me. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says this in verse 13, he says, be on the alert, 
stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now, Paul understood, I can, in summary, to writing to believers, I can give them a, 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 a charge for how they should be living in, in that sense. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. So Paul clearly understood there are some characteristics that define godly manhood. And, and they were to characterize those at Corinth. He, he says it, it's related to being on the alert, to standing firm, to being strong, but then verse 14, let all you do be done in love. He highlights the conviction that is to characterize those who are acting like men, that they, the alertness, the, the, the desire to be, um, to be zealous for the truth and yet balanced in, in love. Look at 1 Timothy chapter, chapter two. Flipping a couple books to the right, 1 Timothy chapter two describes those differing roles in the context of the, of the church. We see them elsewhere in the context of the, of the home. So 1 Timothy chapter two verse eight says, therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments. He's not saying that you can't, uh, can't wear jewelry if some of you have braided hair today. Uh, my girls had braided hair yesterday playing basketball. It's not a forbidding of those things as much as it's, it's this is, we are to be characterized by modesty and discreetness and in, in what that looks like in uh, our particular culture and context. He says rather we were to be clothed with, with good works, uh, women, uh, as a means of, uh, of uh, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Women must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Now again, are those things that are utterly unique to women? Should men not have good works? No. Should men not worry about modesty? No. He's not saying that. Should, should men not be submissive and receive instruction? Well, no. But he says these are things that in particular are to be characteristic of godly women. And this is tied not simply to his culture. Verse 12, I don't allow women to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. That's in the context of, of the, uh, the, the order of the church. He says, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. It's not about his culture. It's about how God designed things from the very beginning. We see uh, more of this over in Titus chapter 2. Uh, more of the, that which is to be characteristic of godly men and godly women. Titus chapter two, verse one, he says, as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Speak about things that, that connect with, that, that really tie in with sound doctrine. And he goes not into this doctrinal depth about the Trinity and about man's sinfulness, but to what our character is to look like as men and women. He says older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, 
In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. We could go on, look at 1 Peter chapter 3, where it speaks of wives and husbands, or Ephesians 2. So all of these texts give us a picture of what God says a godly man or a godly woman is going to look like. Now on the one hand, almost all of the things that are, that are uh, instructed of, of a godly man or godly woman in those texts apply generally to us regardless of our gender. So like sensible was mentioned in multiple places in Titus chapter two. You know, are, are, is it only women who are to love their children? Men are like, yeah, I'm glad I'm a man so I don't have to love my kids. No, I mean, th- those are not things that are uniquely characteristic only of one gender, but they are things that Paul says, or that the other authors of scripture say, are primarily of importance, or, or of, of primary importance in, in that particular gender fulfilling their role. Not that they don't apply uh, uh, in a, a broader sense, but characteristics that we see of, of masculinity based on the role and what, is, what it we is, is described in scripture. You know, you see things like that courage and, and strength of conviction, why? Well, because there's a, a leadership role that God has given to men. And that is a leadership role that is to be caring and protecting and providing, not, self, or not, not focused on self, but sacrificially caring well for others. And so that requires strength of character and strength of conviction and yet a great humility. For women, you see this this role of coming alongside and of helping, of of nurturing, of of being one who comes along and helps her her husband to thrive and who is leading and caring uh, for her children. One who has a trusting, hoping heart in God that allows her to come underneath the authority of others that God has placed in her life. Guys, these are the things that we need to have clear in our minds, that God made us, and he made us male and female with different roles, and he made us different, and that's a good thing. Our world says that's a bad thing. Our world says, you know, girls should wanna be just like boys, and boys just like girls, or they should at least be able to choose which they wanna be. God says, no, I know what I'm doing and I've made you this way in my image, in some ways different and different roles as a reflection of me. I am that way. And so you can embrace that and you can delight in that and you can be uh, eager to, to fulfill the role that God has given you, trusting you. You know, it's, it's no different than, than someone that God made short. We just play, had a basketball tournament in uh, uh, over the weekend, and uh, and so our girls were playing basketball, and and for for whatever reason, God has decided that none of our girls will be taller than five foot four, at least at this point, and yet they like basketball. Now, if you know basketball, you know it's helpful to be slightly taller than five foot four, but God made them that way, and so they they can either choose to focus on the fact that man, if only I was five eight, you know, but it's like, well, guess what, you can't. You can't do that, you can't work out, you can't stretch yourself, there's nothing you can do. God made you that way, just be thankful and, and embrace it and enjoy it. And so it is with gender. God made us a particular way. 
We can, we can fight against it, but there's, there's nothing we can do to change it. We just trust God and embrace it. We embrace his design in those ways. So we have to have a, a vision for biblical masculinity and femininity that is, that is bigger than just, yeah, God made people how they are. And there's some biological differences that are pretty obvious. We need to understand the, the depth of what the scriptures teach. Secondly, we need to recognize the attacks on biblical masculinity and femininity. Some of these are clear. Things like the blurring of, of the gender lines. You know, when, there's, when there are 14 choices uh, when it comes to selecting your gender. It's like, yeah, that's, that's not what the scriptures say. That blurring of those things that is prominent in our culture. We need to help our children and, and be clear in our minds that no, God made us male and female. But there's also a twisting of, of the gender roles, not only the blurring of gender lines, but the twisting of gender roles. And, and this started in Genesis chapter three, as sin entered the world. Look, at, look back at Genesis three with me. This is not new. When God came to Adam and Eve in the garden after their sin, and he confronted them with their sin, you begin to see this twisting of, of role and this abdicating of responsibility. Verse nine, the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, yes, no. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. What was Adam's role? Well, he was to be the leader. He was to be the one who was uh, understanding what God had called them to do and to be and was leading his family to faithfully fulfill that. What is Adam doing here? He is blaming. Now ultimately he's blaming God. He's, he's saying the woman, notice that little phrase, you gave. If you hadn't given me a woman, I wouldn't have eaten. It's your fault, God. You know, convenient excuse for Adam. So he's abdicating his role already and the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's, it's somebody else's fault. And so God cursed them, starting with the serpent. And, and notice verse 16, he says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That, that phrase desire is, is used in chapter four of, of, um, with Cain and Abel of, of that desire that Cain, uh, or of, of sin's desire is to master you. That it's that desire to master, the desire to, to rule over. It's not a good desire. He's not saying your desire will be for your husband like, yay, I desire my husband. But it's I desire to, to rule, to master. I desire to usurp the role that he has. And the husband's response is he will rule over you. Not as a loving, gracious, selfless leader, but as a dominant ruler. And so inherent in our sinfulness is a twisting of these roles, uh, of, of the 
a woman not being eager to, to submit with a gentle and quiet spirit trusting the Lord, but to seek to rule. The man not being a selfless, sacrificial leader, but being a domineering, self-centered leader who says, I'm gonna rule over you. You guys, these are, are a twisting of those roles. Now sometimes, we, we see that very clearly in, in um, the, the twisting of roles in relationships, this dominance on the part of, of men, not considering others, not being uh, kind, not living with our wives in an understanding way. And sometimes we see this, this uh, femininity twisted to where there's this desire to rule and to manipulate and to control, uh, a domineering uh, feminism as it were in our culture. But sometimes there's an overreaction and twisting the other way of those things. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to be ruling as a man, so there's this passivity that comes. This kind of, oh, I just am, am going to kind of be sitting in the background. It's almost more of that Adam in, in his response to God. Well, I'm just the helpless victim here. You know, everybody else is doing what they're doing, and I, I mean, I'm just along for the ride, God. I don't know. Or you can see it in the, the, the side of femininity as well. Instead of this, this eagerness to dominate, there's kind of this extreme passivity that doesn't embrace the fact that God made you to be a, a helper, not to be someone who is just passively doing whatever, but who is eager to, to come alongside and use the gifts that God has given you for the good of and benefit of the family. You see that in Proverbs 31 with the, the, the godly example of a woman is not this passive doormat. No, she's active and engaged and using her gifts faithfully and wisely. And so just know that this can get twisted kind of in either direction. And I would say most of us have kind of a tendency one way or the other that we have to recognize. So men can be incredibly passive or they can be incredibly domineering, neither of which is right. Women can be incredibly passive or they can be seeking to usurp the role that, that, uh, that uh, others play in their life rightly and, and both are a twisting of these things. In a sense, you can err, you can go off on either side and, and miss God's good design for gender. So we have to develop a vision for biblical masculinity infinity and femininity. We have to recognize the attacks on it and then we have to intentionally cultivate it. How do we do that? I think the first thing that we can do is, is to delight in it ourselves. You know, as I mentioned, the chief question is, do I trust God? Do I really believe that he is good and that his design is best? And we get the chance to, to communicate that to our kids, not by saying, you should trust God and believe that his design is good and best. But we communicate that to our kids by saying it, but by also living that out, by embracing the gender role that God has given us and, and allowing our marriage and, and our interactions to communicate that this is not a burden, this is a delight to embrace God's good design in these ways. We talked a little bit about that last week related to marriage, that our marriages get to preach the gospel to our kids when we embrace the role that God gives us in a biblical way. We need to delight in it. Don't complain or grumble about the role that God has given you. Don't downplay it to your kids. 
Now, if you have a, a, a daughter who wishes she got to do stuff that, that boys get to do, don't say, yeah, I know, it's a bummer, isn't it? No. Say, God is good and wise. He knows what is best. Embrace his, his design. Secondly, we need to model it. Our kids don't just need to hear about biblical masculinity and femininity. They need to see it lived out. We need to model it ourselves, and we need to point it out when we see it in others. When we see a godly man, and you are with your son, you, or you see an action of a godly man, you need to say, oh, what a, what a godly man that is who did that. Sometimes when you see the opposite of that, a really bad example, you need to point that out too. That comes often, unfortunately, in, uh, um, in, in a lot of ways. Maybe it's through uh, grandparents in your life where you're like, yeah, we're not really seeing the great example. Maybe, you, maybe you're seeing the great example and you get to point that out. Sometimes that comes through media, you know, where it's like you're watching something and you see a picture of, of a man who is utterly uh, contrary to what God's intent and design is. Don't let your kids think that's okay. You gotta help them to understand and recognize that's not what God says a man is to be or do. We need to encourage it. We need to, to foster it among our, our children. Some of that has to do with the kinds of things that we encourage them to do, you know, even the kinds of, of toys and things that we encourage them to play with. It doesn't mean that everybody has to play with exactly the, 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 um, the same thing if you're a boy or the same thing if you're a girl, but we do wanna be cultivating those things. Now, what a joy when, when uh, we, had, we had five girls, and so you know, most of the time when, when Christy was having another baby, somebody or us would get our kids a, a new baby doll, and so they would be walking around with their little baby while mom's walking around with her little baby, thinking about when they're going to get to be a mom to a little baby. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we want to intentionally foster, that there is a, an eagerness and a desire to fulfill the role that God has called us to. We need to encourage it in, in how we present the qualities of a godly man or woman. You know, in our home, we have, have all girls, and so it's something that we have wanted to uh, talk up the, the, uh, the beauty and the, the value of caring for children. You know, we've loved the people who have given our girls opportunities at a young age to help with their children. You know, some of that comes through family, other relationships as well. You know, that's a privilege that, that we want our girls to recognize. We, what a joy to get to do this. Now, are all of our kids wired where that's like natural for them? No, some are, some love it, some not as much, but there we want to cultivate and help them to grow and appreciate that. You know, we want it to be a privilege to help mom in the kitchen, to, to be a worker at home, to do those things. Again, should they only see mom in the kitchen? No, they should see me helping and serving in a sacrificial way. But we want them to, to understand and embrace the kinds of things that God says are important. Again, we don't wanna just wedge them in to say that's all you're, uh, all you're gonna do is cook meals and clean, uh, change diapers and care for kids. No, there's a robust vision of what a godly woman looks like and we want them to see all of those things and to communicate all of those things. Through the circumstances that we put them in, we can encourage it as well. You know, I think one of the things that, um, that, uh, that looks different when it comes to parenting boys and parenting girls is you're preparing them for different roles. So my daughters are, are I'm seeking to cultivate a trust in God and a trust in authority. 
trust in those who are there to provide and protect and care for them, ultimately God. So if I'm at Six Flags with my daughters and there's a big roller coaster ride and they wanna go on that or they sort of wanna go on that or I'm bribing them to go on it uh, with Dippin' Dots and on that ride, you know, and we're getting ready to go, what is my attitude gonna be towards them? Well, it's gonna be, hey, God is go- good and, and he's in charge even of the, the crazy things that we're about to do and, and dad is with you and you can trust that, that I'm with you and, and so we're going to have a, have a good time together and I'm gonna put my arm around you and I'm gonna comfort you and, and you can rest in that. If I had a son, I'd probably handle that differently. I'd be like, suck it up son, get your hands in the air, let's go. You know, I mean, it's, it's, there's a different role and a different goal in mind. And, and it's appropriate that we are, are parenting our children in, in light of those things. I want my girls to do hard things with me because they trust me as their authority. I want them to be ultimately learning that I am fallible and so their trust in me is not because of me, it is because of God who has placed me in their life because guess what? One day they're gonna have a husband, Lord willing, who is not perfect and they're still gonna trust him because they trust God, not because he's this awesome guy, although I pray and hope that he will be. so we want to encourage it through, through the circumstances and the things that we uh, encourage our kids. We also um, want to find it where it exists and highlight it, praise it. When you see that coming out, again, some of you have, um, have children who are like the, the traditional picture of a, of a girl. You know, it's like, oh, they just always want to wear a dress. And it's like you, they get up in the morning and, and they like ooze with the traditional view of femininity or boys in the same way. It's like they're just always dirty and bleeding and it's awesome. And, and some of you may have kids who that's not quite the case. And so when you see things that you are encouraged by uh, in, in your children in these ways, encourage it. Don't always uh, view it as I'm going to, um, to criticize it when it's not there. I want to encourage what I do see. And be careful not to squash it when you do see it. So if you see your son do something utterly reckless because he is, you know, is just going for it, don't say, don't ever do that again. Say something along the lines of, son, you need to carefully consider... <laughs> before you do something that is risky, whether it is worth it and, and whether it is wise. But don't tell your son, hey, don't ever do anything risky. You want your son to do risky things. If your son said, hey, I wanna go preach the gospel to, to a, a people group in North Africa who are, are Muslim, guess what, that's risky. But it's right. So you don't want him to say, hey, don't ever do anything risky. Be be calm and don't, don't ever do anything that pushes limit. You don't want to ever say to your son, hey, don't ever hit somebody. No, you, you, want, you want to tell your son, it would be a rare situation where it would be right for you to hit somebody. <laughs> Let's talk about when it would be right. I mean, there are, there are times where that attitude of defending and, and protecting and providing is right. And sometimes boys are the farthest thing from that <laughs> because all they're thinking about is themselves but sometimes they're just misguided in how they're seeking to do some of that, and we wanna be wise and careful in those things. And then teach and train for it, be intentional. Uh, Help your kids to think about these issues. There's a a helpful resource um, called God's Design that is uh, put out by uh, Children Desiring God, now it's, uh, they have a different name, Truth 78. Um, 
Great book, it's in our, our bookstore. Um, when we did our marriage conference a couple years ago, we focused on gender with kids and this was a very helpful tool that just walks through these things and helps you to, to be able to instruct your kids. Um, so train for this and, and teach about this. With your girls, teach them what true beauty is and, and where a woman rightly finds her value. And uh, with boys, think, uh, uh, treat them to, or train them to be respectful and, and to uh, treat others with, with the dignity and respect that they deserve. That starts with how they treat their mom, how they talk to mom and, and how they interact and relate to her. So gender, we wanna think carefully about these things and we wanna encourage that in our children. Certainly there's more we could say or think through in that way, but let's move secondly to issues of media and technology. By media, I mean all the different forms of communication that are out there, the, the messaging that comes across in, in TV and movies and YouTube videos and in so many other forms and fashions. Technology is really the making and uh, usage of uh, of, of tools and, and vehicles for the communication of that media. And today we live in a world in which technology is rapidly changing. I want you to think about when you grew up. What's different about your kid's world as it relates to media and technology than the world that you grew up in? Quickly. Internet. Yeah, there's internet. Like, I remember towards the latter part of childhood, we could dial in, you remember that little sound, you know, and it was slow and you had to be by a phone line. What else? Yeah, it's everywhere. Cell phones, my grandma got a cell phone. It was a car phone, it was like a bag in the back of her car. She could sometimes make calls on it. Yeah, yeah, so the the availability of knowledge and, and information is such, uh, uh, so much broader. At the same time, the filter for who gets to communicate wisdom and knowledge is gone. Like you used to have to go to a library, which meant what? Somebody had actually published a book on this. There was some filter in that. Now, it was not a, necessarily a great filter, but some filter. Now it's like, no, everybody's an expert on anything they wanna be. What else? Yeah, social media, just that constant communication of self. Okay, yeah, difficult to discern. Okay, yeah. Yeah, what is, what is decent and appropriate for different contexts and ages? Things? Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, my kids don't even know their own phone number on their phone. Yeah, you know, it, it's, a, it's a challenging world that we live in, in these areas. And uh, I think there, um, there can be the temptation to just wanna stick our head in the sand and say, you know, this is a, um, this is a complicated world and I'm, I'm never gonna fully understand all of it. And so I'm just gonna ignore it and kind of hope for the best, which is not a helpful way to respond. I'm reminded of, uh, of Eli and his, uh, his sons, where Eli was a, a judge over Israel and his sons were wicked and 
godless, and that was essentially Eli's response, was I'm just kind of going to ignore it and hope it, hope it goes away. And, and God said, yeah, it's not okay. He, he said, no, you can't just ignore those things. And so we have to deal with this, and we have to think carefully about it. And it, it means that increasingly, we will be very different than the world in these ways. And, and, and some of that may be a source of frustration to our children, uh, but that's why we have to think carefully and communicate well about the things that we are, are doing. Let's think just briefly about, uh, about media and technology, and I want you to think about it as it relates to other issues of parenting, like, like your kids in driving. How many guys have kids who are already driving? Some of you. Uh, how many of you dread this thought of your kids driving? Um, it, it's actually um, kind of exciting when you get a kid who can drive um, for some practical reasons, but it's a little, a little sobering. Um, but how many of you plan, once your kids are at a stage where, where they could drive, to just say, here's the keys, boom, go for it, hope it works out, you'll figure it out. Hopefully nobody, now Texas requires a significant amount of training and, and uh, video instruction and other things before you can legally drive, but none of us would say, hey, you know, just have at it, hopefully it'll work out. And yet, it's so tempting as parents to do something like, hey, here's a cell phone, here you go, have it, hope it works out. You know, where it's like, we, we, we just can be so quick to, to mindlessly do things that are, are significant uh, influencers in the lives of our kids. And so, I wanna start by thinking about our understanding of media and technology. Just to give you a couple principles, and, and you know these things, and you see these things, but just to remind us, you know, media is intended to feed self. One author put it this way, that the, the audience is the sun, the producer is the moon, and the goal is to kind of reflect the sun back to that audience. You know, that, that media is made to be consumed and produced by people, and so it is feeding them what they want to think about themselves. There's a sense in which it's giving us back what we are and what we want. It's a reflection of us. At the same time, it's a reflection of the broader culture. Media also reflects culture. It, it rarely gives biblical solutions, but it does often show the problems. You can watch TV shows and you see a relatively accurate picture of the issues of our day. Now you see lousy solutions typically to them, but you do get a picture of those things. And media also intentionally presents a worldview. So it's, it's feeding self, but it's also seeking to shape the thinking. It is, it is presenting a worldview. I want you to think just about the difference between some of the, the TV shows or movies when you were growing up and what is produced today. You know, there are intentional differences about those things, some of which are just a reflection of the culture that is now different, but some of which are intentional trying to shape the thinking of the culture. I mean, you think about just the, the issues that we've talked about already a little bit today with, um, with issues of, of gender and even issues of, of authority. You know, it used to be that authorities were genuinely, or generally pictured as relatively competent and helpful. Most authorities today in media are presented as the exact opposite, as, as incompetent and unhelpful and usually part of the issue. Not, not always, but that tends to be the reality. 
Um, and so what you have are, are this idea that, oh, you, you are probably going to have to go against authority to see anything that is good and worthwhile happen. Um, you know, you, you see in a lot of children's shows um, the fact that, you know, children are right and smart and parents are wrong and idiots. <laughs> And that's presenting a worldview that authority cannot be trusted and is not helpful. You need to believe in, in yourself. You know, even some of, of, of what is presented has things like women and children saving the world that men and adults have messed up, which is an, an undermining of God's design. Now again, part of that is a reflection of culture where yes, a lot of times men have not led the way that they ought to, and so they have messed up our world, and there is an, a right and appropriateness to these things, but, but it's, it's presenting a worldview that goes beyond just those things to a view of God and a view of self, of what we should worship and how we can be satisfied. You know, the, the media around us really presents someone's view of heaven. What is it that is ideal and worth living for? What is it that you are seeking to have and to be? And media is a powerful influence. We can think it's not, but it is. How much do people pay for Super Bowl commercials? Tons of money for 30 seconds with millions of people watching because that has no impact on people. No, because it does. You know, I remember uh, when our kids were growing up, you know, they, I think they came and, and they wanted a pillow pet and thought we might need debt management services because that's what the Cubo channel had as their, as their commercials. And it's like, what are you even talking about? Like you have a pillow and you have stuffed animals. Why could you possibly need to? Well, it's because they didn't even know that they, this was a possibility and they didn't know how, how bad their life was without a pillow pet until they saw that reflected in that commercial. And you guys, technology has dramatically increased our access to media. It used to be you had to go somewhere in particular and turn something on and choose to, to access that media. Now it's everywhere and it is screaming at us. But what is our role with media and technology as parents? I think we, we get a, a little glimpse of it in, in Psalm 127, which is um, a psalm that, that highlights the beauty and the gift of children. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. This psalm starts with trust in the Lord and, and the, the work that God is doing in and through the home. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain and it is vain for you to rise up early to retire late to eat the bread of painful labors for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. He, he says, our role in, in the home is to be building and to be protecting and ultimately God is the one who does those things. We are dependent on him for that, but those are the things that we are to be striving to do. I think you can boil down our role into those two categories of, of protection and preparation or training as we've seen, that of, of building. We have a role protecting. Protecting our kids, protecting ourselves, our family from the influence of media and technology in our lives. We, we often think of the fact that we need to protect our children from media. We need to think more humbly than that. 
We need to recognize we need to protect ourselves from media. It's not just about how do we protect them from being shaped and influenced or from accessing things that are out there. It's how do we protect all of us ourselves from these things from explicit content and things of that nature, but also just from the anti-biblical worldview that is rampant. And how do we prepare them? You know, we want our kids to learn how to handle media and technology. It's like that example of driving. You wanna protect your kids from dying when they drive, but you also wanna prepare them so that they can ultimately be a good driver. It's like we, we put in a, um, uh, a swimming pool a number of years ago, and, uh, and we waited until our kids had learned to swim because we wanted to protect them and we wanted to prepare them. So when you have, have kids and you are around a swimming pool, you wanna protect them from drowning, but you, you don't do that simply by saying, we are never, ever, ever, ever going near a swimming pool. You do that by ultimately teaching them to swim. So it is with media and technology. And so what are our goals regarding media and technology? Let me give you two. I would suggest that our goals related to that are, are first shaping what media and technology influences their lives. Limiting what media and technology influences their lives. Limiting their exposure. Limiting the things that they watch and see and are exposed to over the course of the time that they are in their home. Some of that means just having standards and guidelines for what we will allow in our home or allow them to participate in outside of our home. Sometimes that means protecting them from doing things that we have told them not to do by limiting their access or ability to that on different devices on pass with, without having passwords to things or, or other things. We'll talk about some practical ways you can do this in a second. But we do have to recognize you cannot live in isolation your entire life. You can try. But your kids ultimately are going to have to learn how to live in a world filled with media and technology. And if we just say no, 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 and then they leave our house, you know what they're going to do? Most likely, they're going to run headlong into this world ill-prepared for it. And they are going to embrace it in reaction to our restraint without having prepared them well. And so not only do we have to shape what media and technology influences their lives, and again, I think it's kind of like that authority and influence. We do that primarily when our kids are young, limiting what they are exposed to. And then we also want to shape how media and technology influences their lives. We need to teach our kids how to think and how to interpret media. We need to teach our kids how to think about technology and how it affects them and their interactions with others. You know, in some ways, this means ruining the bliss of media for our children. Teaching them that you cannot sit and mindlessly watch things. You cannot check your brain at the door of the movie theater or on the couch. As much as we want to just relax and watch, we have to keep thinking about what is true. We have to, to engage in those ways. Helping your children to think about things like the fact that people pay $6 million for a commercial in the Super Bowl. And so when you see a commercial and you are tempted to want what is in that commercial, you need to ask yourself, why do I want this? 
And do I really need this? And how was my life before I had that? And to teach them that you don't have to be swept along by these things. You can be wise and intentional to know that your life is just fine without Cool Ranch Doritos or whatever it is. You can be content with what you have. We have to help our kids learn to interpret the worldview that is behind the media that they are seeing. Again, doesn't mean we never let them watch something that's contrary from a to a biblical worldview, but it means we are helping them to think about it as we engage in those things. We help them think about how technology affects their interactions. I remember when our, our kids started text messaging for the first time and, and uh, you know, we had, had as adults had started to text after we had learned to communicate with people. Our children started to text as they are learning how to communicate with people. And so they, there was this, just this tremendous lack of ability on some of our children, more than others, to communicate well through that medium. You know, it's like somebody writes three paragraphs pouring out their heart and one of my daughters would reply like, yes. And it's like, oh. Well, that's, that's maybe not communicating all that you think it is. Like you may be feeling warmth in your heart and care for this person as you type yes, but they are not getting that. <laughs> They're getting, that's it, that's all you said? Uh, and so helping them to think about those things, helping them to understand these things. So what is our practice regarding media and technology? Well, let me encourage you in a couple of ways. One is to be the authority over your kids' media and technology use. You are in charge. God has given you that role to protect your children. Do not feel bad telling your children, no, you cannot watch this, but mom, everybody else is watching this. One, that's probably not true. Kids lie about that. They don't know, they think they know. Somebody may be watching it and they assume that everybody is, but you, you, you don't have to, to be swept along by that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, let, let me work through this a little bit and then we can come back to that either today or if we don't have time, we can start next week with some questions on this because I know we're probably not gonna have as much time as I want. Um, so this is true even if kids buy it themselves. So just because your kid has spent money on something does not mean that you are not the authority over it. And it's helpful if you make that clear up front, you know, or a grandparent gets it for him, that, that actually that doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want on it, I'm sorry. Um, I, it's still in my house, I am still your dad, and so there are limits on those things. So be the authority, be willing to do that. Embrace your role. Act like men, as, as Paul said. Ha have convictions about what you're gonna do. Now, you may need to talk to others about it. You may need to wrestle with stuff. You may need to, um, to gather more data to make good decisions, but lead in that way, which requires, secondly, that you be knowledgeable of your kids' media and technology use. Ignorance is not bliss. Do not just stick your head in the sand and say, hope it'll turn out. Don't put... Um, don't put your kids in a position where you do not know the kinds of things that are going on as it relates to their media and technology use. This used to be as simple as things like don't put a TV or computer in your kid's room. That's still good counsel. But now it's more complicated because there are portable devices. You have to be careful when and how they can access things, what you allow them to, uh, uh, to do on those types of devices. Not simply the, the uh, the content that they're accessing, but even the, the quantity of time that they're spending on those things. 
Guys, if you don't know what something can do and you don't know what other kids are doing with it or you can't monitor their use of it, be very leery of it. Practically for us, what this has meant as our kids have gotten older is we, we have primarily used two tools to help us and there's more than this. We've used something called uh, Disney Circle, which is, um, it's ironic that Disney bought it. Um, but it was, and they bought it because you put an app on your kid's phone and they hope they will go to that app and be fed all sorts of Disney propaganda. Um, but um, that, maybe that's not the only reason. Um, but it's, it's a, a device that hooks up to our router at home and any device that comes into connection with our, our Wi-Fi at home uh, is, is connected to our circle. And so we have the opportunity to filter, to set time limits for all those things. So if you bring a wireless device into my home and you connect to my wireless uh, network, you are filtered through that. It also has a, a feature called Circle Go. So on our portable devices, we can keep those same settings on our children's portable phones. So when, uh, and, and some of those things are filters. So there are limits to what, uh, what our kids can, can access or any device in our home can access, excuse me. Um, some of that has to do with time restraints on things. So we, we have um, several of our kids who have uh, some social media accounts, Instagram, things like that. Um, we, uh, we have time limits on how much time they can spend on those things. So I get a little notification that they have reached their 15 minute limit or whatever it is. Um, and they're, they're done with that for, for the day on their, their particular device. Um, so it gives us those opportunities. There's also, if you have Apple devices, they have uh, screen time, which is, is a very robust way to control things. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's much better than what you used to be able to do on those devices. You can set specific time limits for apps. You can also limit what is on a phone. So you can go into those things and things like the ability to add apps and the ability to have an internet browser on a phone, those things are optional. You don't have to have those things. And so if you have an old phone lying around uh, and your kids are playing with it, don't just give them their, your old phone and say, have fun. It's no longer connected to the, the network, but it's connected to our Wi-Fi because they can do all kinds of stuff on it. And so we have started our kids on portable devices that have very limited access and opportunities to do things. And then gradually we have given them more opportunity for things. So like our oldest is a senior in high school. She has a cell phone. She has Instagram, she has Safari. She has all the things that I would expect an adult to have on their cell phone to function in today's world. Um, um, but my next youngest daughter, she doesn't have all of that. She has Instagram, but no Safari. And, and at some point that will become helpful for her and, and we will work through those things with her. So using those kinds of things, if you have questions, we have to talk about, I'm not an expert on those things, but it has been helpful for us to be able to, to gradually give out more line while still maintaining controls on those things. And those are things we have for all of us. So there's been seasons where, like for me, I, I'll put a time limit on a certain kind of app, like news apps on my phone, because like I don't need to be spending more time reading news articles. And, and so I can, I can cut that back in an intentional way. Uh, so it can be helpful for all of us just to put parameters on how much we want to be using these things. Again, we want to not just mindlessly give our kids access to those things, but we want to also help them think about it. So like, 
before we let Anna, our oldest, get Instagram, she had to, to kind of write us a persuasive essay, it kind of sounds mean, on like why she wanted Instagram. You know, because it's like, I just want this. Well, why? I don't, I don't care that you want it. I mean, what's the, what's the, I care that you want it, but I don't, that's not a sufficient reason to get it. Why, why is it that you want this? What are the dangers and temptations that come with this? And how are you gonna seek to use this in a way that is helpful and appropriate? And if she says, oh, it's just great. It's like, well, no, you haven't thought about it enough. Think about it some more. What are, what are things that could be temptations regarding this? We just wanna help our kids in those ways. We wanna help ourselves in those ways. A third thing though in our practice is we have to be reasonable with our kids' media and technology use. Again, the temptation is to like shut it all down. No, you can't have that. And no, you can't watch that. No, go read a book. Like, I mean, it's, it's very simple on that hand, one hand to say like, no. <laughs> but we do wanna try to be reasonable. We wanna recognize that this is the world we live in. There are benefits to media and technology that we wanna take advantage of and yet we want to be wise and careful in those things. And then lastly, be involved with your kids' media and technology use. I have my daughter's Instagram account on my phone. I don't look at it very often, but I occasionally do. My wife follows them, and she is, is more engaged in that world with them in a way that's helpful. You know, we've watched movies we don't wanna watch. I think High School Musical was the one that put me over the edge. You know, where my kids were coming to me and saying, you know what, we wanna watch this. They're like singing songs. I'm like, how do you know these songs? Like our kids, our friends are singing these songs and we wanna watch this movie. And I'm like, I don't wanna watch that movie and I don't want you to watch that movie. But finally, we sat down and we watched the movie and we paused the movie at various points and we said, you know, what's going on here? Like, what are they communicating that life is about? And, oh, and they still liked the movie and we didn't like the movie and we talked about the movie. And, and you know, so it's one of those things where it's like, that was a painful three hours of my life <laughs> that I will never get back. <laughs> and, and now I know some songs and I hear them singing songs like, ah, you know, but it's like, that's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it to be engaged and involved with our kids, to help them grow, to think, to protect them, so that they know we are, if, if they think we are just ancient people who, who think that all of the things that they would enjoy doing are like of the devil, they are not gonna listen to our counsel. But if they know, hey, we love you, we want you to enjoy your world and your friends, but we want you to do so with wisdom, considering what the scriptures teach. You know, there, there are challenges that come, you know, going to friend's house, going to grandparents' house, two big issues. Um, Obviously, navigating with grandparents, I think you can, you can seek to have healthy conversations with them about what you, your expectations and guidelines are with respect. With friends, we have communicated to our children that believe it or not, you are responsible for you. You, you are not a victim here. You know, you're not Adam in the garden. I mean, the friend that you sent me to their house, they made me do it. <laughs> It's like, uh, no, actually you are responsible. And so if you go to that friend's house and they're gonna watch something that you know you shouldn't watch, be that a movie, be that sitting in their room watching YouTube videos, guess what? You have a voice. And you also happen to have a phone or a car and so you can leave. <laughs> or I can come pick you up. You don't have to do that. Now, if they're like strapping you down, forcing you to watch it, I'll talk to their parents. But if not, be 
be willing to do what is, what is right. And ultimately, if you're not, that comes back to what? To your obedience. And that's where I will probably discipline you if you disobey me. So you don't have to agree with me. You can tell your friend, my dad is a mean man and he will not let me do this with you. And so I would love to spend time with you, but you have to promise me that you won't, won't do this because otherwise my mean dad will get me in trouble. That's fine, I'll be the bad guy. But you have to be willing to, to do the things that we ask you to do. Again, do I, I wanna be reasonable. Doesn't mean I say never ever do any of those things. Yeah, uh, but it, it does mean we wanna have conversations about that. So these are not easy. These, these are things that humble us. These are things that drive us back to Psalm 1 and 27 that says, unless the Lord protects the house, unless the Lord guards the city, sorry, the watchman keeps awake in vain, we do all that we can do. And we say, Lord, you are ultimately the one who is gonna shape and protect our kids. We wanna be faithful. We don't wanna be naive, we don't wanna stick our head in the sand, but ultimately you, Lord, are the one that we are depending on. And ultimately, it's not about our kids' media habits. It's about our kids' hearts. We wanna protect their hearts from the influence of media, and we want to let their desires as it relates to media show them and us their hearts so that we can address those things. We have to to do that with as much humility and conviction and wisdom as, as we uh, can with, with looking to God for his grace and help. We'll start next time with, uh, with just some questions about these things. If you have practical thoughts, uh, then we can, uh, we can consider those things together before we move. Yes, Christy. Oh yeah, we have one actually. It's even the newer version. We thought we were having issues with ours and so we got a new one. And we don't need it. And their customer service is lousy, so we tried to return it for a while and then we gave up. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's pray. Father, thanks for the time. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had to uh, consider these things. Lord, we are humbled by the challenges of parenting and uh, Lord, we were humbled because we are often swept along in our thinking in ways that are contrary to your word and. Help us to have our hearts and minds continually renewed through your word. Help us to be careful about what we believe and, and how we think. Lord, don't let us believe the lies of our culture that, that ultimately satisfaction comes through human relationships or through pleasure or through wealth or through any of the other things that our world champions as what is worthy of our worship. Lord, help us to, to love you above all else. Help us to lead our families well to be the authority over our, our homes and, and yet to also be training and preparing and involved in these areas for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.